This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Please remain standing for the scripture reading, which is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith Brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as unholy things? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he was promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteousness, one, will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious God, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds as the scriptures that we just heard read are proclaimed, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may see what is good and right and true and seeing, O Lord, help us to do what is pleasing to you, so that your glory becomes visible in our words and in our deeds in a lifetime of faithful obedience. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, it was just a few weeks ago that Michelle and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary, and thank you. I'm not sure which of us you are applauding. 
because although our marriage has been very rewarding, it's also been extremely difficult at times, um, and especially in our early years. I cannot describe to you what Michelle and I had to slog through, and I'm not quite sure how we've made it this long, to be honest. And every anniversary we celebrate, I reflect soberly on the increasing number of people we know who have not made it. In the last few days, I've been thinking about our friends TJ and Angela, and they got married around the same time we did. TJ was kind of the golden boy. He was a senior pastor's son. I led one singles group. He led another, and we would pray together and encourage each other, and he'd hold me accountable for things that I was struggling with. And TJ married a very vivacious young woman named Angela, who was a triple threat. She could sing, she could dance, she could act. She was a very happy person with a huge smile. Um, And they also struggle with some really difficult things early in their marriage. Because after, I think, their second child was born, Angela suffered from some really severe postpartum depression, like that we've never seen or heard of before. And she would spend hours every day just sitting in a chair, staring at the wall with dead eyes. It was unbelievably rough for them. And TJ had a job. He was in the juice business somehow, and he was selling this really expensive juice and marketing it to different grocery stores, and he was traveling a lot. And then we found out that sometime during this period, he had begun a relationship with another woman. And I would say he had an affair, but he was committing adultery just because his own marriage was too hard for him. And he wasn't able to press through and love his wife and endure. And he... You know, the church leadership appealed to him passionately with tears, and he hardened his heart and not only left his wife, but left the faith altogether. And he's on Instagram now, like, posting pictures of himself shirtless in the gym, like, acting like a 20-year-old with these inspirational quotes. And it's really, really sad what happened to him, not just to his marriage, but to his faith. And it's a reminder to me and to all of us that any of us could fall away. And if anyone here thinks that he or she is strong, the Holy Spirit reminds you, take heed lest you fall away. And be careful of the evil, unbelieving heart that we all have within us that could lead us away from the living God. Because any seemingly small sin that you are indulging and not repenting of and not bringing to God for forgiveness could be the very first step away from the God of life into a path that leads to eternal death. And our passage in Hebrews that Amy read to us contains this sobering warning to every single person here. Beware of hardening your heart in sin, because you might sear your conscience so completely that you actually take yourself past the point of repentance. And forgiveness. And although there is a lot of joy and a lot of confidence in this passage and in the book of Hebrews, there's also a kind of holy fear that all of us should have who worship a pure and awesome God. A holy fear that we should all have about ourselves, that we don't become the kind of people who trample the Son of God underfoot and insult the Spirit of grace. Because if we do that, if we go down that path, we have willingly severed ourselves from the life of God. We've cut ourselves off 
from grace and from the goodness of God. And then there's no possibility left for us except for judgments. And make no mistake, our God is a consuming fire. And there's no more foolish choice you could make with your life than knowing the grace of God, knowing what Jesus has done for the world, to choose to stand before God, having taken off Christ, to stand before God on your own, refusing to accept the atoning sacrifice. And then all we can expect is for the justice of God to burn us up. So my prayer for all of us today, our prayer for each other today should be this. Lord, bring every single person here safely through the gates of the new Jerusalem. Good shepherd, guard us, guide us, keep us from wandering away from you. And make it so that every single person here hears the voice of the master saying over him or her, well done, good and faithful servant. You have finished the race. You have fought the good fight. Now receive the reward that has been laid up for you. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit as faithfulness today. Because we're not left to our own devices which would be terrifying, and you should be very anxious and panicky today as you contemplate the possibility of your own sin. We're not left to ourselves, to our own resources, but we remind ourselves that God has given us his spirit to work in our hearts a lifetime of faithful loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, which is really the theme of this whole book of Hebrews. This book is... An anonymous sermon, as far as we know, delivered to a group of Christians who were wavering and struggling. And don't judge them too harshly, because these believers were under a great deal of stress. They were finding out how costly it is to follow Jesus. They were experiencing increasing social pressure from their families and their neighbors to reject this strange religion And now the local authorities are beginning to clamp down. Some Christians are being carried off to prison. And there's a strong temptation to pull back, to disassociate from each other, even to return to their old Jewish faith, which at least had some legal protections. And this preacher does something that's a bit surprising. He goes on a long exposition of the supremacy of Christ. This whole book is about how Jesus is better. Jesus offers a better covenant than the covenant that Moses brought. He brings a better priesthood than Aaron's priesthood. He offers a better blood than that of bulls and goats. And he wants these Hebrews to have their mental, spiritual horizons filled with Jesus. To have their hearts soaring as they contemplate the glory of the Son of God, that they would receive and then return Jesus' own sacrificial love, which has rescued us from death. Because our faithfulness to Jesus is generated by his faithfulness to us. 
When we talk about faithfulness, we're not thinking about loyalty to a cause or an idea or a movement. Faithfulness is about personal allegiance, about personal loyalty to the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. Loyalty is always personal, just as betrayal is always personal. And all of us today should be feeling the eyes of Jesus gazing on us, just as he gazed on Peter warming his hands on the fire, beginning on a path of denying Jesus, feeling Jesus calling us back to personal faithfulness to him. And after chapter after chapter in Hebrews of rich, deep, thick exposition, this tour de force of the Old Testament interpretation, how it all uh, is transformed in the light of the gospel, in the light of Jesus, our unnamed preacher is now shifting gears into exhortation. He wants the people he's preaching to to respond and change their lives in a certain way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he begins in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, this new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the household of God, he's building the foundation, now he's going to put something on top of it, he gives us, in our passage, a threefold exhortation. Three phrases that are marked by the words, let us. At the beginning of verses 22 and 23 and 24, three verbs, three practices, three actions that will nourish a lifetime of faithfulness if we choose to respond in obedience. Here's the first one, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The way is open. The sacrifice has been completed. The priest is waiting. And now we must actually draw near and walk into the presence of God. Because every human being has been made to know the God who created them. You were designed to be overcome by the majestic, holy, beautiful presence of God and to be embraced as God's beloved son or daughter. That is what God has created your heart to experience. That is why God sent his son, and that is why God gave his spirit. But if you do not actually draw near, if you do not actually go into the presence of God, Jesus may as well have died for nothing as far as you are concerned. God has gone to great lengths to bring lost people into his presence. He gave his son to die for us. And through Jesus, God is now saying to each person here, your sin has been paid for. Your guilt has been covered. Your shame has been taken away. I have removed every obstacle that stands between us. Why are you hesitating? 
Why are you holding yourself back? Come to me. And the amazing privilege we all have as believers in Jesus, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most mature and the most fruitful to the least mature and the most fruitless here, we all have the amazing privilege as believers to come to God every day with open and transparent hearts. With no need to pretend or claim to be something we're not. No need to hide from God and cover ourselves. We're all sprinkled in the blood of Jesus. We've all been washed in the waters of baptism where we identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And so now we've been so fused with Jesus, we can actually come to God with the same confidence Jesus himself has. Does the uncreated Son of God feel any hesitation to come before his Father? Does Jesus feel any guilt or fear or trepidation? He comes boldly and he sits at the right hand of God. And amazingly, through Jesus, and only through Jesus, we have that same right and that same privilege and that same invitation to come to God boldly and with confidence. It doesn't honor God when you come before him hesitant and trembling and afraid, timid and anxious and groveling before God, moaning about your own sin and all the ways that you failed God. It grieves the heart of God when we approach him with so little faith. Here's how God is glorified in our prayer and in our worship. When we come before God with the full assurance of faith, entering his presence boldly, not boasting in ourselves and what we've achieved and how righteous we are, we humbly admit we are sinners, as we just confessed together earlier. But we also remember a greater fact than that, which is that Christ has died for us. And now Jesus lives, and he is the high priest interceding with power for you and me before the right hand of God. That should make us stand up a little straighter. That should make us march into the presence of God with tremendous confidence, totally expecting that God will welcome us and embrace us for Christ's sake. And I'm dwelling on this point, and I, I think the author to the Hebrews dwells on this point because frequent, happy communion with God is the great secret of a lifetime of faithfulness to him. Frequent, happy communion with God is the secret of a life of faithfulness to him. And frankly, I don't think you're going to last very long at all in the faith. Certainly not when the first great trial or persecution or suffering comes. If you don't have the deep security of being accepted by God in Christ. 
And it was that incredible awareness of the grace of God and their safety and security in him that made the first disciples, these first men and women who followed Jesus, to share the gospel so boldly and so courageously in this explosion of joy coming out of this new relationship with God given to them in the gospel. Let me remind you again what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Therefore, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Or hardship? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things that try and test our faithfulness, that try to pry us away from Jesus, in all these things we are more than conquerors, not through our own determination or through some perseverance that we drop from our own strength of character. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was Paul's profound confidence in this new relationship that he had with the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit This is what fired Paul for a lifetime of sacrificial ministry, a lifetime of following Jesus faithfully to the end. If it's our ambition to be faithful, if it's our desire to be loyal, if it's our longing to express the same allegiance to Jesus, the only way we can nourish a lifetime of that through many troubles and toils and dangers, is to draw near to God. With Paul and with all the saints who have gone before us, with the full assurance of faith. Let us determine to live out of all the good of the gospel. So many of us are living like starving poor people when all these resources are freely offered to us. The Holy Spirit is inviting you today. He is calling you to feast to the full from God's table. To drink and drink and drink from the river of the water of life. To return again and again and again to the presence of God with increasing confidence that can come only from a growing awareness of what Christ has done for us. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 23. For he who promised is faithful. Our preacher is exhorting us 
to seize on to the promises of God with a grip of iron. Our Father has given us incredible promises. He has promised us the gift of new life in resurrected bodies. He has promised us a share in the new heavens and the new earth. He's promised to transform each of us into the image of Christ. He's promised us citizenship in the heavenly city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And these things that we read about in Scripture are not dreams and visions that we've invented for ourselves. We're banking our lives on this hope, on these promises, because the one who promised is faithful. Our foundation is the character of God. And Hebrews chapter 6 reminded us that this God who cannot lie has sworn his covenant with an oath. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And in covenant, God has bound himself to us. Before God covenanted with our father Abraham, he was free, he could do what he wanted. But once God had sworn an oath to Abraham, he had limited his own options. And now God has bound himself to us, and his glory and his honor and his character are now woven into our own destiny. And if God would fail in his promises, if, we, if he would not give us what he said, then God's word would fall to the ground, and God would no longer be worthy of our worship. But the God who promised is faithful. That is why we persevere, because God is faithful. This is not about positive thinking and like stirring ourselves up with some inspirational quotes, generating endurance out of our own grit and our own perseverance and our own character. Any faithfulness I have is nothing more than total reliance on the faithfulness of God. And brothers and sisters, we will never persevere to the end if we are wavering and wobbling and uncertain about God's commitment to us. How can I be trustworthy if I don't believe that God can be fully trusted? Here's the way to strengthen our own grip on the promises of God. Counterintuitively, it's not by focusing on our faithfulness. It's, on fix, it's by fixing our eyes intently on the promises and the character of God, rehearsing them to ourselves and to each other again and again and again, which is why we gather here every week to remind one another. Amy had a very long reading today, and I could have tested her by having her read even further on into Hebrews chapter 11. Right? This, this hall of fame of faith, this great cloud of witnesses who are surrounding us, exhorting us, God is faithful. We lived lives of 
faithful endurance ourselves. We banked everything on the promises of God. We refuse to let go because our God is faithful. And we take these examples of these dead saints who yet are still living before God, and we use their example to stir ourselves up that we might be worthy of them and also to stir each other up. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Faith, hope, love. You can see in this verse how faithfulness to God requires faithfulness to other people because we're all in this interlocking relationship with each other. And if we are to be faithful, if we are to persevere, if we are to endure to the end, then we can't allow ourselves to be the kind of people who give up easily on others. I know, it's tempting to push the red button and just destruct a rela- destroy a relationship, right? To give up on people who are tough and demanding and who disappoint us. But God calls us to be faithful to one another, especially those who are weak and are struggling. In fact, I think one of the most dangerous lies we can believe is that we don't really need other people. That I can handle things on my own. I can persevere with my own resources. And that the condition of my soul is of no business to other people. And the writer of Hebrews had observed that one of the first steps of apostasy is when people disconnect themselves from the body and go out on their own. At one time, he reminds them, these believers had been standing squarely together, shoulder to shoulder, with those who were being insulted and persecuted, unafraid to show public solidarity to those who were in prison, a very risky thing to do, and yet perhaps the safest thing to do. We are weak when we're on our own, but we're strong when we're together. The church is kind of like a sheet of plywood. And plywood is made up of very thin layers or plies of wood that are glued together with the adjacent layers being placed on top of each other with their grain at different angles, 90 degrees or even 45 degrees to one another. And it's this cross-graining that makes the whole sheet of plywood much stronger than if it was a solid piece of wood. It gives the plywood strength in multiple axes, and it reduces the sheet's tendency to warp or split. So combined weakness suddenly becomes something stronger when it's glued together. And it makes me think that each of us is strong when stress is applied in a certain direction. Each of us, when faced with certain kind of temptations, they're not a struggle for us at all. 
And we're surprised that our brother or sister seems so vulnerable to that thing that honestly holds no power over me. And yet, when stress is applied from a different angle, when the pressure comes from the other side of me, I snap very easily. But when the church is bonded together in love, when these thin, weak, cheap layers of wood are glued together, cross-grained, stacked on top of each other at different angles, suddenly our combined strength by the Holy Spirit overcomes our individual weakness. John Wesley observed that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We go to heaven together or not at all. And it's vital to meet together, as the Methodists realize, it's vital to meet together, to worship together, to be in small groups together, to be one-on-one together, strengthening, exhorting, encouraging one another, building each other up. You know what? Every single person in this congregation is called to a ministry of encouragement. You are called to encourage your brothers and sisters, to watch over each other in love, to warn each other when we wander, to cheer each other on when we are doing well. You are not just responsible for your own perseverance. You are also responsible for the perseverance of your brothers and your sisters. And Jesus will not allow us to wash our hands of each other and say, who is my brother's keeper? We're all called to strengthen each other's hand in God. Just like David strengthened, or Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God in 1 Samuel. We're called to grab each other by the lapel sometimes and say, don't give up. You are so close to the end. You so near the finish line. Because the struggle of faithfulness is not endless. We're not on a circular treadmill that just goes and goes and goes without ever arriving anywhere. We're not condemned to wander in circles in the wilderness. We're almost in the promised land, the author to the Hebrews reminds us. We don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed who fail to seize on to the promises of God, we belong to those who have faith and are saved. And we need to remind each other that in this admittedly long and arduous journey of faith, where we have many enemies without and within, that we are not alone. Jesus doesn't drop you off after you're baptized and say, here's a map, here's 40 lari, here's some couple of church kala, see you in heaven, right? Jesus promises to walk with us as the good shepherd every step of the way. And in our justified fear of falling away, when we look at ourselves, we need to hear the voice of God himself saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have given you my son. I have granted you 
my spirit, you are not on your own. I am the promise-giving God. I am also the promise-keeping God. And in the end, it is not your faithfulness that is going to guarantee your entry into the new Jerusalem before the presence of God. It is God's own faithfulness, the God who will not give up, who will not abandon us, who will not forsake us, but will always hold on to us for Christ's sake. So shall we bow our heads and pray and ask for God's grace to be with us? Lord, it is because of your great love that we are not consumed. For your mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. And so, triune God, fixing our eyes on your steadfast love, which reaches to the heavens, we pray that you would increase our faith. Help each person here to draw boldly before you with the full assurance of faith, confident in your love for us through Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our hope, strengthen our grip on that hope, knowing that the one who was promised is faithful. And Lord, we also pray that you would increase our love for one another. We are weak on our own. We are strong together, O Lord. And we pray that you would help us to Help each other to be faithful to the very end. Oh Lord, we are here in the middle of the journey, and we do not know what the months and years ahead hold for us, what trials you might be calling us to face, what sufferings we might be summoned to endure. We only know that unless you go with us, O oh Lord, we will be destroyed. So, Lord, accompany us through the wilderness. Be our pillar of fire by day. Be the cloud of smoke by night. And, Lord, may our eyes always be fixed on your character and on your promises and bring us safe at last into your presence where we can celebrate your faithfulness forever and ever. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.